Hello, and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 4. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, founder of writingasasecondcareer.com and author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries. Today we are talking about Season 4, Episode 3, The Harsh Light of Day, where Buffy really falls for a new guy and an old enemy returns to Sunnydale. In particular, I'll cover connecting vastly different scenes through dialogue and images, themes of connection and distance, strong plot turns in both the main plot and subplot, but some question as to which are which, details that evoke Buffy's past but don't overload the audience, and Buffy's frame of reference for romance. As always, there will be no spoilers unless it's to talk about foreshadowing at the very end of the episode with plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. The Harsh Light of Day was written by Jane Espenson and directed by James A. Contner. The original air date was October 19, 1999. We start with the opening conflict. That is meant to draw the viewer or reader in, and in some stories, it relates directly to the main conflict. In others, it's a minor or unrelated conflict that brings us in to the characters' stories. Here, it does relate to the main emotional conflict, and another early scene will set off the action or vampire plot. Buffy and Willow at the Bronze watch Oz's band play. Willow comments on Parker being here. Buffy plays it cool as if she didn't notice, but when Willow says Parker looks really cute and green, Buffy says teal. Turns out she's been watching Parker in a mirror that hangs above the dance floor as he plays pool. I couldn't help wondering because we see Parker in this circular mirror in a frame, basically. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought so much of this episode is how Buffy's experience with Angel and even Willow's uh, observing that and being part of that frames how they see Parker and romance for Buffy. So Willow says to Buffy, You know, when you spend all week with a boy, you are allowed to look at him directly. But Buffy says she doesn't want to crowd Parker. They're not here together tonight. Oz, who has finished playing Another Band is On, asks if they're ready to go. But Willow tells him Buffy's been watching Parker. And she says, who it turns out has a reflection, so big plus there. This is that first direct reference to, um, I guess it's not direct, indirect reference to Angel, because we won't hear his name mentioned, but obviously that is what Willow is comparing to. Parker's already terrific because he's human. He has a reflection. And then Willow jokes, Buffy's having lusty wrong feelings. And Buffy says, no, I'm not. And Willow says, no, you're not. And Buffy responds, oh, I so am. 
But willow counters know they're not wrong feelings because there's no wrong. And she goes on about how Buffy and Parker are both grown-ups and free, and then pauses and asks, is Buffy free? All these lines give us so much backstory. We learn Buffy and Parker have been hanging out for a week, and we get these callbacks to Angel and this comparison. And it highlights how wonderful it is for Buffy to have met someone and be attracted to him and enjoying it without all that danger that Angel posed to her. Parker walks over to the table. He's leaving and he suggests he walk Buffy back to the dorms. It's not safe out there. And we get a little humor and fun here as Buffy with a glance at Willow and Oz says, how silly of me not to plan ahead. Also a bit of foreshadowing, Parker's it's not safe out there. Turns out it's really not for multiple reasons, including Parker. Out behind the bronze, Willow walks with Oz and Devin, the lead singer, to Oz's van. And Devin says something about how well it went tonight and that the band will be great in L.A., And he says, we'll have them glued to their seats. And Willow, in a very dry tone, jokes, uh, Devin, aren't they supposed to dance? And Oz says, oh, we can glue them to the dance floor. As he and Oz go back inside, Devin says to Oz, I didn't mean with real glue. You got that, right? Oz assures him that he did get it. This is a fun, quick characterization of Devin, which will be used later in the episode. And it's an example of how even seemingly uh, throwaway lines in this episode set up things that happen later. I feel like nothing is wasted here. Harmony appears and says hi to Willow. And on first watch, I am sure I did not remember that Harmony was attacked by a vampire in Graduation Day Part 2. And Willow must not have known about it because the two of them talk about not having seen each other since graduation. And of that day, Harmony says, big snake, huh? Willow asks what Harmony did for summer vacation. Harmony says she was going to go to France. She was dying to see the stores there. Willow mentions the museum, and Harmony is puzzled museums. And Willow says, yeah, I heard they had them, and goes on that it's just a rumor she picked up on the street. Harmony says Willow was always so funny, and she hasn't changed a bit. And Willow says, you either. But Harmony tells her, maybe a little, and goes into Vamface, grabs Willow, and bites her. This is about three minutes in, and we cut to credits, and what a fantastic hook to bring the audience back, because Harmony definitely bites Willow. It's not just making a move toward her. We return. It's three minutes, 50 seconds into the episode. Harmony is biting Willow. Oz comes out of the bronze, uses a microphone stand, and then a cross to back her off. And Harmony says, fine, hide behind your boyfriend. But guess what? I have a boyfriend too, and he's going to be mad that you were mean to me. These lines tell us so much about Harmony's character. She's a vampire, and she attacked Willow to kill her, and she's mad at Willow for being mean to her. 
This line also keeps the tension going through the Buffy and Parker scene that is next and the Xander and Giles scene that follows. Buffy and Parker, there's plenty of their own tension to keep us interested, but I do think this is why this episode moves so much faster than the previous two because immediately we have this strong sense of danger in the sort of traditional Buffy way, danger from vampires. So we are near 10% through, and usually in any story, we see the story spark or inciting incident here that gets the main plot rolling. And in this episode, I see it as Harmony mentioning her boyfriend. That gets our vampire and action plot moving because of who it turns out the boyfriend is. We also, around the same time, get this scene that sets our emotional plot moving. Buffy and Parker are walking outside, and he says he still doesn't know that much about her and asks about her hobbies and interests. She can't exactly explain that most of her time not in school is spent patrolling, so this adds some nice tension to this getting to know you process. And Buffy says, well, mostly I hang out and do stuff. And Parker jokes, he says, yeah, I was into that for a while. And this joke makes me like him because he doesn't pry and he doesn't say anything that suggests that Buffy is dull or she ought to say something more specific. At 4 minutes 32 seconds in, which is almost exactly 10% through, Parker notices the scar on Buffy's neck. And I think it's no accident that this is at the 10% mark. And it does two things. It leads into a deeper conversation with Parker. At least we think it's a deeper conversation. Buffy feels like it is. But it also reminds the audience about that intense scene with Angel drinking Buffy's blood and nearly killing her. So again, that callback to Angel without specifically mentioning him, but putting this frame of her experience with Angel around what will turn out to be a short romance with Parker. Buffy tells him it was an angry puppy that attacked, which I see as a reference to the wish where in the alternate universe, Angel was called the puppy, even though Buffy doesn't know anything about that. Buffy jokes about will she get to see Parker's scars. He says they're all emotional. And he tells her about his dad dying last year. Buffy feels really bad. She apologizes for being kind of making light of emotional scars. But Parker says it's fine. He's dealt with it. But he doesn't put things off anymore. And he says, and I'm not doing the deep get sympathy thing. Don't you just hate guys who are like dark and brooding, so give me love. And Buffy claims she doesn't think she knows that type. This line, this additional angel reference, distracts Buffy and us from what Parker is doing. And it's also purposeful on his part, very manipulative, because he calls out that he is revealing this thing about himself that you might think was just give me sympathy. And he kind of refutes it. And in a way, he's 
honest. He's not using it for sympathy, but that makes us miss that he is using it nonetheless to create false intimacy. Buffy answers with real intimacy. She tells him she gets it and that she drowned, but she came back, obviously, and she laughs, but that she doesn't put things off anymore. And this living for today has really been tested for Buffy. And I feel good for her that she's come to this place where despite all that time of blaming herself for Angel turning evil, which made her back off from relationships from other parts of life, that now she is willing to live. She is willing to take chances, all of which makes it so much harder what ends up happening. And I think that it can't be accidental that the writers include this in in the conversation with Parker, though it fits so organically into what she is telling him. And he listens to her, and he's really listening. He's not interrupting her. He's not hurrying her along. And it makes it feel so genuine. Also because he jokes and says, yeah, people say they get it, live for today, but it's more like an excuse to not study for finals, which Buffy says also a valid life choice. And he tells her it's cool to find someone else who understands. So there is what appears to be this real connection between them. Buffy asks what he'll regret not doing when he goes to sleep tonight. And he says being too nervous to ask her to the party at Wolf House tomorrow night. And she, of course, reassures him that she will go with him. That's the only moment that feels a little to me like Parker goes a bit overboard. He pretends to be a little shy and nervous. But maybe I only pick up on that and it seems false because I know what's coming. I don't recall what I thought of it on first watch. We're now at 7 minutes 6 seconds in. Xander is at Giles' apartment helping him organize his books, but he doesn't get what he calls your crazy system. Giles tells him the system is called the alphabet and Xander says, oh, would you look at that? Anya walks in. Xander says, Anya, last time I saw you fleeing in terror, how'd that work out for you? Anya tells Giles to go away. She wants to talk to Xander. And when he doesn't leave his own apartment, she and Xander step outside. Anya wants to know where their relationship is going. What kind do they have? And what is it progressing toward? And Xander says, we have a relationship. Anya responds, we went to the prom. Xander notes that was their only date. The second was called On Account of Snake. Also, she's an X-Man killing demon, which he admits is as much his issue as hers. But Anya says she can't stop thinking about him. And sometimes he's all naked in her dreams. Xander jokes that he has that dream too, but usually he's in the checkout lane at Walmart. Anya wants to assume a standing date for Friday night and all sorts of other things, and he tells her a relationship has to develop on its own. But when she asks him how, he doesn't know. He says it just happens. So very quick conversation that fills us in on so much about Anya, Xander, last year, all through conflict between them. At around nine minutes in, Parker and Buffy reach her dorm room, but there's no chance for him to come in because Willow and Oz rush around the corner and Willow has a cloth to her neck and says she saw Harmony. 
Willow says she's back from her summer vacation and she's a little different. When Buffy says different, they tell her Harmony is paler. And Buffy says paler and turns to Parker and says angry puppy and rushes him away. Inside the dorm room, they get Willow bandaged and Buffy says Harmony's a vampire. She must be dying without her reflection. She also asks about this boyfriend. Willow says, you know, maybe there isn't even one, that Harmony always lied about stuff like that. You wouldn't know him. He goes to another school. Oz tells them Devin dated Harmony for a while, but she was too flaky even for him. Marvel at the concept. So that's why we heard Devin not understanding Willow's joke. So we got that brief characterization of him to give us more context for Harmony. Buffy says guy dating Harmony dead must be like the most tolerant guy in the world. So this line, like so many in Buffy, brings us into the next scene and it ties the two together. Even though these two plots seem so very separate right now and not a huge amount happens in that scene. But this is a great way to draw your reader or viewer from one scene to another, particularly if you are switching point of view, because there is often a certain resistance to a point of view switch if you're really engaged with a character. I have felt it myself. I turn the page to the next chapter or I go on after a scene break and I want more of my favorite character and now I am thrust into some other point of view. But this line, it connects them and it also raises a story question which this next scene answers, who is Harmony's boyfriend? Also, this detail where initially it seemed like Harmony's boyfriend mention was just to show her character, it turns out it is key to everything in this vampire plot. So 10 minutes, 17 seconds in, we switch from Buffy to Harmony. She is going through a dark underground area, approaching a guy with a hood on who is welding, and she says, hi, baby, I'm back. He takes off his hood, and we see that it's Spike and cut to a commercial. This is a compelling hook to keep the viewer coming back. This revelation of Spike could be the one-quarter twist in the episode, that first major plot turn, but I think that comes a bit later, so I'll talk about that then. When we come back from the commercial, it's a sunny day. The camera shifts to below ground. At 10 minutes, 36 seconds in, Spike is talking with another vampire. He wants to know is what they found definitely the crypt. It's important because they're going to need to tunnel under it. And the vamp starts to say, I'm sure. And Spike slams his head on the table. He wants him to be more than sure. Harmony interrupts, though, and says, how's my little blondie bear? And Spike says, Harm, does this look like a good time to talk? Not deterred at all. She wants to know if he'll kill Willow tonight. And she wants him to say, this is for my sweet girl when he does it. Spike growls and turns on her, pushing her against a wall, explaining that no one knows he's here and he is not killing the Slayer's best friend, as that would tend to announce his presence. And Harmony says he almost killed Willow last year. What's the big deal? It tells the audience that 
This is why it is such a big deal that Spike is back, the very real danger he poses. So if you didn't see that episode last year, or you didn't see the previous episodes at all, you know that Spike is dangerous. He puts her off. She complains about him never taking her out. She wants to go to a party. He lunges at her, grabs her. Um, He's angry, but it quickly turns into sexual tension. And Harmony says, right here, baby, in front of Ryan. And he says she'd like that. And she says maybe she would after a party. And he laughs and says he'll take her somewhere nice tonight. That was 12 minutes, 43 seconds in. I see this as the one-quarter twist, that major plot turn that comes from outside the protagonist and spins the story in a new direction. It also often raises the stakes. This decision to take Harmony to a party is what brings Spike to cross paths with Buffy, and there she'll find out what he is up to. So it does turn the story and raise the stakes for Spike and Buffy, presenting more danger to both of them. If you are finding this podcast helpful and you want to learn more about story structure or are looking for information about writing or publishing, you can check out the articles on writingasasecondcareer.com. You can also find free story structure worksheets there or through the link in the show notes. At the party, Buffy and Parker are trying to talk, but there's lots of noise, a live band, uh, chaos, someone juggling. He asks if she wants to dance, and Buffy jokes, no, let's have a meaningful conversation. But they run into Spike and Harmony, who have a half-drained guy in front of them. Buffy says, Spike, and she laughs a little, and Harmony. Harmony says, Buffy, hi, what a cute outfit last year. I find it so funny that vampires apparently really like to make fun of Buffy's clothes. Parker observes it looks like their friend started the party a little too early, and Spike says, say, let's have a look at the new boy. And he goes on, I like him. He's got, um, what's the word? Vulnerability. Which is ironic because it turns out Parker has no vulnerability, at least emotionally. Buffy responds, and you with Harmony. What, did you lose a bet? And Harmony says, hey. Spike starts to say it's a funny story how they met and then flings the guy at Buffy and Parker and he and Harmony run. Buffy chases them outside. She and Spike fight a bit and she asks, what's the matter? Did Drew dump him again? A nice callback to Lover's Walk from season three. But Spike says, maybe I dumped her. And Harmony says she left him for a fungus demon. That's all he talks about most days, which is kind of funny because Spike said chaos demon. So Harmony apparently doesn't listen very well, as I don't think that's a mistake. Or she just doesn't see the difference between the two. Spike yells at her, saying they're going. And he turns back to Buffy and says, it's not time yet. 
Harmony makes the mistake of adding to the taunting and says as soon as they get the gem of Amara, Buffy will be so sorry. Spike groans, drags her away, and she seems surprised he's mad. It's 15 minutes in. We switch to Xander, who is hanging a mirror ball in the basement as the dryer churns. Anya knocks on the door. Xander's mom let her in and said to ask him to add a fabric softener when the timer goes off. He says that, yes, they can talk some more when she asks and um, asks if she wants something to drink. He turns around to get her a juice box, and when he turns to face her again, she is naked. He squeezes the juice box, juice squirts out of the straw, a visual pun I don't think the writers could resist. At 15 minutes, 46 seconds in, Buffy calls Giles from a payphone, and later we'll see an answering machine, so lots of what is now old technology. Giles is in sweatpants and stretching, so it looks like maybe he really has taken up running, despite my skepticism that he was doing that last week. He tells her the gem of Amara is not real. It's like the vampire equivalent of the Holy Grail. It's supposed to be the source of tremendous power. But vampires looked for it all over the earth, combed the earth in the 10th century, and nobody found it. He'll research, and she's done what she can so she can get some rest. Buffy fakes a yawn. Yes, she'll do that. She's sleepy. She feels like she has to sort of pretend for him. And that tells us a lot about the relationship, that he still is that parent figure to her. The scene switches to Harmony. Spike is sitting at a desk reading. Harmony asks whether different celebrities are vampires. Spike says no. She wants to know if she can make one of them a vampire. And he says no. And then he says, on second thought, yes, go ahead and do that. She's saying something about not having a pulse. And he yells at her, what does it take to get her to shut the hell up? And she only laughs. She is in uh, negligee on a large, beautiful bed. Spike is shirtless, uh, kind of like we used to always see Angel shirtless. As she talks about being covered in all these blue veins. And he finally joins her in bed. Plenty of chemistry there, despite that clearly they don't get along. And we switch back to our other couple, one of our other couples. It's 18 minutes, 27 seconds in, as Xander looks on stunned while Anya finishes what we can tell has been a short discourse about what she thinks is a workable plan. Two people have sexual intercourse. That allows them to get on with their lives, and she thinks it's the secret to getting Xander off of her mind. He says they hardly know each other, though he admires her directness, but, quote, and I'm actually turning into a woman as I say this, unquote, sex is about expressing something and accepting consequences. Anya volunteers that she has condoms, which he says is very considerate, and Anya goes on, and frankly, it's ludicrous to have these interlocking bodies and not interlock. She steps right near him, they're face to face, and says, please remove your clothing now. And Xander says, and the amazing thing, still more romantic than Faith. The two of them kiss, the timer goes off, and Anya says, fabric softener. At 20 minutes, four seconds in, Buffy returns to the party. She finds Parker again, and she tells him the English guy is an old friend, and he's not supposed to drink, and Buffy saw him here in the land of the beers. 
And Parker says, it's okay. She did a good thing for her friend. And then goes on, did uh, you and he used to like go out? Buffy laughs very hard and says, no, we really didn't. The band is playing a slow song and she and Parker slow dance. Later, they talk and he tells her he's a history major, which should have been her first clue. Remember Tom, the fraternity guy in Reptile Boy, was a history major. She's not super interested in it. And she says, history, fascinating dates and compelling places. But Parker says, really, these huge events, when you dig down, are all about real people making choices that change their lives. This is not a bad way to look at history, but as we'll find out, Parker is doing and saying this in a manipulative way. And now we are reaching the midpoint of the episode. Typically here, we see either the protagonist fully commit to the quest or suffer a reversal or both. So this is one of the things that makes me struggle with which plot here is the main plot and which is the subplot because it is all about the emotional story here at the midpoint. And Buffy does make a commitment after this little back and forth about choice. Buffy kisses him. He asks her what she's doing and she says making a choice. So Buffy is throwing caution to the wind and going all in on this, whatever you want to call it, romance adventure with Parker. And she is so happy in this entire scene. I feel happy for her when I watch it, despite knowing what's coming. And it's so unlike in season three with Scott Hope, who, yes, she liked, but she wasn't able to let go of Angel, and she had such mixed feelings the entire time. She's so withdrawn and afraid of making bad choices and raining down destruction on all her friends. So as an audience, we are happy for her that she is happy. And it really sets up the heartbreak to come and what will turn out to be a major reversal for her. At 23 minutes, 12 seconds in, that song when they were slow dancing has continued throughout. And they're in Parker's room. They're both taking each other's clothes off. It's a a really nice scene. And we cut to Giles. He picks up the phone looking worried and dials. And he gets Buffy's and Willow's answering machine message Giles tells Buffy to call him. He needs to talk to her right away. The fact that there is no midpoint commitment or reversal that I can see in the vampire plot, it doesn't feel like that much is happening in it. And in fact, not that much is happening in it. Spike is just continuing to try to find that crypt with the gem in it. The scene with Buffy and Parker fades and it's morning. Buffy wakes up alone and says, Parker, another echo of what happened with Angel. Another framing of that because when Parker returns with two cups of coffee and plenty of cream and sugar, we're so relieved. It's not the Angel scenario. And Buffy asks if he has plans for the day and he says his mom is coming to visit. So Buffy says she'll clear out, but maybe they could talk later or do something later. And he says, absolutely, he'll call her. 
He even asks for a kiss before she goes, seeming kind of sweet. And we cut on that. They're seeming very connected face to face. We switch to the next scene, 26 minutes, 6 seconds in, and we have a contrast, but the same theme of intimacy and post-sexual intimacy. Xander and Anya sit on the edge of his pull-out bed, but they are angled away from each other, almost back-to-back, getting dressed, and Anya says, so uh, I'm over you now. And Xander says, okay. Anya is clearly angry, and she says, okay. And Xander says, yeah. She huffs and leaves. Now this theme and imagery continues and connects to the next scene, the third couple. And they are, in a way, in between. We had Parker and Buffy in what we think is connection and intimacy face-to-face. Then Xander and Anya almost back-to-back. And now... Spike is lying on his stomach in bed, so face down. Harmony is on her side, drawing a heart on his bare back with a magic marker and writing, Spike loves Harmony. She says he can write on her, but he says he has to get back to work. So this is such a great use of body language and, again, what seems like kind of a throwaway thing, Harmony writing this on Spike's back, that nonetheless encapsulates their relationship. She is writing Spike loves Harmony. But the body language emphasizes that Spike is disengaged. He's facing away from her. She is leaning towards him. She wants it to be Spike loves Harmony, but he doesn't want to write on her. What a wonderful way to emphasize that and also to contrast these three couples and tie their stories together. Harmony says, you love that tunnel more than me. Spike says, I love syphilis more than you. She sighs. He leaves. Buffy goes to her dorm room. Giles is there with Willow. Buffy's hair is still a bit must. She's tying one of many ties on the back of her top. And she says she didn't know Giles was here. And he says, oh, really? Which has to be a reference to that message he left her. I never noticed that before, but it must be why we specifically saw him saying, Buffy, if you're there, call me back. I need to talk to you. Everything in this episode is just used so well. I feel like nothing is there for only one purpose. Behind Giles' back, Willow is miming questions about Parker. It reminds me of season one, Teacher's Pet in the science lab, when Willow is miming answers to Buffy. Buffy tells Giles she was studying at the library all Saturday night. Giles looks skeptical, and Buffy says, uh, you know what? Uh, I'm an adult, and it's none of your business where I was. And Giles responds, I'm sincerely relieved to hear it. He tells her the gem might be real and in Sunnydale after all, and Giles will try to locate the crypt. Buffy will try to track down Spike before he gets to it. And I can't recall exactly when Giles tells Buffy that the gem makes the wearer invulnerable, but we do learn that somewhere around here. So clearly very dangerous. After Giles leaves, though, Willow wants details about Parker. And Buffy says it was wonderful, and he's going to call later. Willow says, don't you love this part when it's all new and everything's a discovery? And Buffy says, I don't know. I guess I do. And she seems happy still. 
that line, everything's a discovery, ties into the next scene, which is so different. At 28 minutes, 35 seconds in, Spike and the other vampires are exclaiming, it's here, they knew it. It looks like they found the crypt. Everything is a discovery. Also, that reference is accurate about Parker. It's just not the way Willow means the discovery Buffy will make. Spike tells everyone they have to stay underground until they find the gem, including Harmony. She's mad. He said he'd take her to France, and now she can't even leave. He calls her a stupid bent, tells her the gem is everything. It's why he came back to Sunnydale, but he tells her don't worry. When he has the gem, they'll all die. In the meantime, he throws her against the wall and says he doesn't want to hear any more about sodding France. And unlike the um, first time he did that in the episode where, yes, he was irritated, but it quickly turned into this chemistry between them, here it feels like there's nothing there but his anger. And she is so angry and disappointed in response. We can see this very real conflict between them, which grows out of their characters. She really wants to spend time with Spike. She wants to have fun. And he is making it clear that does not matter to him. And on another level, he tells her he does not love her. And he did love Drusilla. Harmony says, I don't know why I let you be so mean to me. And Spike says, love hurts, baby, and walks off. This love hurts line now leads into a montage of Buffy going around campus, showing people a yearbook photo of Harmony interspersed with her going back to her dorm room to check her answering machine and it shows her zero messages. Finally, at 9.05 p.m., there is a message, but it turns out it's just Willow asking if Buffy heard from Parker. So love does hurt for Buffy and for Harmony. Buffy stares at the answering machine, sinks onto her bed on her side, looking so sad and defeated. At 30 minutes, 49 seconds in, Spike breaks into the cave. He shines a lantern around. There are all these gems, including a large green one on a gold necklace. Harmony asks if she can take stuff. He doesn't care. He puts on the necklace. She puts on a crown and a ring, and she asks him, also thinking the necklace has the gem of Amara on it. Is it doing anything? Does he feel different? She tells him he doesn't look different. She thought maybe he looked taller or glow. So now we are about three quarters through the episode. Here we usually see that last major plot turn that should grow from the midpoint and take the story in another new direction. And this plot turn does that. It also raises the stakes. However, I don't see any way that it grows from a midpoint because we didn't really have one in the vampire plot. And in fact, this feels more like the midpoint because Spike, uh, who is our antagonist, will in a moment commit to the quest. So at 32 minutes, 20 seconds in, 
Spike burns his hand on a cross. And so he knows it's not a gem. It's not the gem of Amara. So he has this reversal. And then Harmony says that's too bad and rattles on about how, well, maybe that gem is worth money and they could go to France. And she always wanted to go to France. And Spike is so uh, angry and frustrated and aggravated. He grabs a piece of wood and stakes her with it, committing to a quest in a way, committing to this is it, he's had it. But she does not dust and she heals immediately. If you are enjoying the podcast, please help it reach more listeners by telling a friend who loves Buffy about the show, by posting on social media, or by leaving a review wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also help by becoming a patron. Follow the link in the show notes or go to Lisa Lily, that's L-I-L-L-Y dot com slash Patreon. he realizes it's the gem. So in that sense, this is a three-quarter turn in that it does spin our story for Buffy significantly. The fact that this is almost a midpoint for the vampire plot, because it would would also be a deep reversal for Buffy, but it is coming very late. So this also makes me think the vampire plot is the subplot. Because in our subplots, We'll see the same progression, a beginning, typically a midpoint, some sort of ending. You might have other major plot turns, but they don't necessarily come exactly at the points we see them in our main story. So your midpoint for the subplot, like this one, could come much later, and it could intersect with a three-quarter turn or serve as a three-quarter turn for the main plot. But that does create the only thing in this episode that doesn't quite work for me, which is that it is a little muddled. What's the main plot here? What's the subplot? So we're at 32 minutes, 38 seconds in of this roughly 43 minute episode. Harmony is not grasping what happened, even though Spike staked her and she healed. She just says, I can't believe you just did that. Spike gets it right away, though, looks at the ring she's wearing and says, hold on. And he grabs a cross, puts it against her, and she says, you freak. And nothing happens. He then yanks the ring off her finger, saying, that's my gem. And Harmony says, fine, fine. If that's all that matters to you, just take it. Take it and get out. He says, that's a good idea. He'll go play outside. So now Buffy is in great danger, as is everyone else, and in a moment she will be in great emotional peril. But first we switch to Oz and Giles. Oz is either uh, borrowing all Giles' records or he's moving in, he tells Giles. Xander is amazed to discover that Giles has a TV buried behind a bunch of boxes. Giles says watching television isn't going to help now, but the news says... There's a cave-in that has stopped traffic, and they realize it is very likely Spike. Looking for that crypt, Giles tells Xander to find Buffy and meet them near the collapse. 
At 34 and a quarter minutes in, we get our last major plot turn, the three-quarter turn in the emotional story. This, too, spins the story in a completely new way. Though we're not totally surprised by this, we suspected, Buffy suspected, something like this was coming, but not as awful as it turns out to be. Buffy sees Parker talking to another girl. He is telling her about his dad's death, using the same words he did with Buffy, how it's about living for today. She walks up, asks what's going on. Parker introduces the two girls like it's no big deal, kind of hurries the girl away to her class. And then there is this very painful conversation for Buffy. Not only is Parker not interested after having sex with her, he plays head games with her. Buffy says he didn't call her. Parker acts like it's nothing and says it's only been a couple days and says, did you need to talk to me about something? At least if he had said something like he was busy and clearly brushed her off or wasn't interested, she would know right away where it was at or more so she would know, oh, this guy's a jerk. He, he was playing me. He never meant any of that closeness I thought was there. But because he acts like he's puzzled, oh, you know, hey, everything's fine. Um, do you need to talk to me about something? She takes it on herself and asks if everything's okay. And she's happy when he says, sure, you know, definitely everything's great. And so she asks if he wants to do something. And, and he says, yes. Absolutely. But when she says, how about tonight, he tells her he's getting together with some people. Buffy asks if she did something wrong, and he says, of course not, and then pretends like they were always on the same page, saying, it was fun. Didn't you have fun? Watch out how you answer that. My ego is fragile. And Buffy asks if that's all it was supposed to be, and he says, what else was it supposed to be? He assures her he does like her, but he's starting to think she thought it was some kind of commitment. And instead of saying he doesn't want that, he says, is that really what you want right now? He ends by saying he thought things were pretty clear. And Buffy ends up apologizing for misunderstanding. He says he really has to go. She goes after him saying she did this all wrong. So clearly feeling like, oh, she should have played it cooler. Maybe they would have continued seeing each other. He is so good at this that on first watch, I feel like I forgot about those quick dialogue lines in the beginning that told us that they had been hanging out for a week, moderately incessantly, as Buffy says, and was thinking it was more of a hooking up at the party kind of thing, the way that Parker is treating it. Buffy is completely blindsided, and then she is literally blindsided by Spike, who walks over and says, well, that was pathetic, and slugs her, and we cut to a commercial. So now we are starting off the climax, our final clash between the protagonist and antagonist. It's 37 minutes, 8 seconds in, and Spike goes on about what a fantastic day he's having, the sun, the birds singing, and he says, sun beaming down in a nice non-fatal way. They fight, she stakes him, and he says, do it again. 
and she realizes he has the gem. And he says, oh, yes. And he can't resist showing his finger to her with the ring and says, official sponsor of my killing you. We leave the audience hanging, switch to Willow, Giles, and Oz, who have gotten into the crypt, and they find Harmony, who is crouched on the floor, crying, and she says, being a vampire sucks. But she goes into vamp face and lunges for them. We cut to Xander banging on Buffy's dorm room door. So now we've got two cliffhangers there, Spike and Buffy, Harmony, and the others. Xander gets no answer. He's about to head down the hall to look for her, but Anya comes around the corner. And now the Anya-Xander subplot will reach its own resolution, at least for this episode. Anya wants to talk to Xander about what happened and how she said she was over him. And she's clearly about to say that she really wasn't. But he says, Anya, I don't have time. And he takes off to find Buffy. It's another example of genuine and real conflict. Anya has claimed she was over Xander. Maybe he should have picked up on that she didn't really mean it. But she's probably thought about it and thinks that he probably didn't get it. Especially because Anya's always so direct. So she wants to talk more. She's going to tell him how she feels. And Xander... I at least read it that it's not that he is not willing to talk about that. He really does feel the urgency to go find Buffy because they're pretty sure Spike has this gem of Amara. So now we have had all three couples and there is a lack of connection or really a strong disconnection between all of them. Spikes is the most violent, staking Harmony and leaving her alone. Parker's is the most awful emotionally because we love Buffy and because uh, while Spike is terrible to Harmony, the rules seem to be somewhat different for vampires. Harmony's uh, frustrated or upset when Spike says he loves syphilis more than her. It certainly adds to everything. It builds the problems between them, but she doesn't react the way a human would if her lover said that. And this is another way of framing Buffy's frame of reference of vampires. Think of all the horrible things Angelus did. She is coming from that and trying to move into the realm of human relationships. And then we have Xander and Anya, which is not a... Um, a purposeful disconnection on Xander's part. They first have something of a misunderstanding because Anya says she's over him. Xander doesn't deal with it very well. And then he brushes her off, but not because he doesn't want to talk to Anya. So we have those three different stories, different couples. Harmony now tells Giles, who is brandishing a stake that Spike has the gem of Amara. She says, he tried to take it right off my finger, like I wouldn't have given it to him. I would have given him anything he wanted. He was my platinum baby and I loved him. Giles asks where Spike went, but Harmony, rather than answer, jumps down through an opening in the tunnel, though uh, I don't know what she could have said except that he's outside. At 38 minutes, 54 seconds in, we are back to Buffy and Spike. So this is really the climax in earnest. 
it is linked to that last scene with the where did Spike go? Well, we know that. We come back to him. They fight. He throws Buffy against a pole. She is fighting well, but she can't kill him. And I remember being very worried the first time around. She's on the ground. He jeers at her, asks if she's getting tired. Xander approaches, dives into the fight. Spike throws him off. I thought this was Parker at first because we see him, I want to say, from the side or the back. And both he and Parker are dark-haired, somewhat similar builds. So I was momentarily distracted and confused about that. Spike says, so you let Parker take a poke, eh? Didn't seem like you knew each other well. And he says, did he play the sensitive lad and get you to seduce him? That's a good trick if the girl's thick enough to buy it. He continues fighting, and he asks her what she did wrong. Was she too strong? Did she bruise the boy? And then he says, whatever. Guess you're not worth a second go. Come to think of it, someone told me as much. Who was that? Oh, yeah, Angel. But this has the opposite effect Spike wants. It shifts the momentum because Buffy is so angry. And remember her telling Kendra that anger gives her power. She gets the better of Spike. She grabs his arm and twists. He's in pain. She grabs the ring, which is still on his finger, and he tells her, If she takes it off, they'll both burn. And Buffy says, really? Let's see. She yanks it off his finger. He howls in pain. His body starts smoking and he darts away and lunges for one of these many convenient passages to underground that are all over Sunnydale. I I wanted to say it was a sewer grate, but it's, it's in what looks like this little chimney coming up from the ground. But whatever it is, Spike makes his escape. And Buffy has prevailed. Now we are at the falling action part of the episode where we tie up loose ends, resolve any subplots that still need resolution. Here we did resolve the subplots for the most part. Spike and Harmony seem pretty clearly separated now. Anya and Xander had their last conversation. But we do have loose ends. 40 minutes, 54 seconds in, and we shift to Giles' apartment where the ring sits on a table. Giles says they need to destroy the ring, but Buffy says no, and Giles tells her, but any vampire who gets it will be essentially unkillable, and then he says, oh, as she looks at him, and Oz says his band will be in L.A. and they can drop it off. Willow also gets it, but Xander doesn't, and Willow says to him, she's giving the ring to Angel. Don't make a fuss. Giles asks if Buffy is sure, and she says he should have it. I am not sure if I buy this, given that Angel left, partly out of the concerns of the danger he posed to Buffy. They lived for so long with this fear that he could turn evil again. It's hard to buy that she would want to send him this ring that would make him invulnerable. She did just get the ring away from Spike, so the ring is not a guarantee the vampire will survive. But I feel like, well, I'll talk about one reason, the main reason I think it's here in the spoilers. From an emotional perspective, it ends that frame of angel around romance, around Buffy's relationship. 
despite everything, Buffy still trusts Angel enough that she wants him to have this and him to decide what to do with it. We switch to Buffy and Willow walking at night. Buffy is wondering if this always happens. Sleep with a guy and he goes all evil. Willow tells her so maybe she made a mistake. It's okay. And Buffy wistfully says that Parker said that, that it's okay to make mistakes and it was sweet. And Willow tells her it wasn't sweet. He said it so Buffy would take a chance and sleep with him and he's a poophead. Buffy agrees that Parker is manipulative and shallow, but says, and why doesn't he want me? Am I repulsive? I mean, if there was something repulsive about me, you'd tell me, right? And Willow responds, I'm your friend. I would call you repulsive in a second, which I love. Buffy is clinging to those happy feelings, that closeness. And while she had closeness with Angel, it was never unequivocally happy the way she briefly felt with Parker. And she can't quite internalize that it was all fake. They never truly connected. Buffy asks Willow, does Willow think she and Parker could still work it out? And Willow responds, I think you're missing something about the poop head principle. Buffy looks down, then tells Willow to go on ahead. She wants to take a walk. We have sad music. Buffy walks alone. And we shift to Anya, also walking by herself, looking despondent. And then to Harmony, walking alone, still teary. And then we get a wonderful shot as the camera pans back. And we see from afar that the three women are walking in different directions out away from one another. Almost this spiral of disconnection and loneliness. And we cut to credits. That is it for this episode other than spoilers and foreshadowing. So I hope you will stay tuned, but if not, thank you so much for listening and a special thank you to patrons who support the show. I hope you will all come back next Monday for Fear Itself, a Halloween episode about a frat party in a fake haunted house. Or is it fake? And we are back for spoilers and foreshadowing. So first, Buffy saying the ring should go to Angel. This is a device to have a crossover episode to Angel. Oz will bring the ring. Spike will also go to LA. I am not going to break down that episode because I don't think there's anything we need in it for continuity. The other thing with Spike, the whole uh, platinum baby blondie bear. So when Drusilla comes back in season five, she sees and hears Spike and Harmony together and she makes fun of Harmony's pet names for Spike, which is just a priceless moment that I am looking forward to re-experiencing. This scar on Buffy's neck, I mentioned before, so I won't go too much into it, but it is part of why I now think of Buffy's struggle to get over Parker, which is going to take a couple episodes, is really more about Angel leaving, and that makes it easier for me to understand it. Lots here foreshadowing Anya and Xander and their relationship, including Xander saying, we have a relationship. It tells us so much 
he never initiated this relationship. He wasn't the one who initiated going to prom. He just went along. And in that episode, he told us she was his only choice. And here it seems similar. Maybe he doesn't see her as his only choice, but he wasn't contemplating a relationship with her. Unlike Parker, he wasn't um, maneuvering for sex, and I'm not suggesting he should have been. But when Anya is naked in front of him, he's all good with it, but then doesn't know how to handle it at the end. And it, it just shows us so much about the issues that they are going to have. And down the road, at some point, he will even acknowledge that he hasn't been all in with her, even though at that point, they I'm pretty sure they're living together. And it's the episode where Buffy and Riley break up, and she tells him, I'd be surprised if Anya was anything more than a convenience for you. And Xander realizes, oh, he has been treating Anya that way. And he He tries to tell Anya he doesn't feel that way, but it will remain a question. Also that Anya comes to talk to him, and Xander's not unwilling in that last scene to talk to her, but he needs to go off and help Buffy. And in Once More with Feeling, we'll get some hints of that in the musical episode when Anya said something about when things get rough, he just hides behind his Buffy. So she sees it in part as a way for him to avoid, which which he does after he proposes to her. He uses Buffy's death as a reason not to tell anyone, not to move forward. And if we flash forward to season six, when Xander has this uh, fake flash forward of his future with Anya in it, Buffy is dead. Xander got injured helping her. He and Anya are fighting all the time. When we get there, I hope I remember to talk about what is the show saying here? Is it that Xander is too attached to Buffy? Or are we juxtaposing the idea of work and relationships? The difficulty of balancing those things. And now to Spike, Parker asks that question about Buffy. Did she ever go out with Spike? And at the time, it's just funny. But I see it as one of so many moments in this season that so gradually in the tiniest step at a time bring us to the point where we believe that Spike fell for Buffy. And then later in season six, where we believe that Buffy gets involved with Spike. We also have a quintessential Spike comment here, love hurts. At that point, he's being sarcastic. He doesn't love Harmony, but her love of him hurts her, and he recognizes that. He might also be referencing that love hurt him, his love for Drusilla. And he will echo this with Buffy on so many levels. Love, pain, violence, hurt, sex, it's all intertwined for Spike and in many ways for Buffy. So that comment just thrown in there sarcastically, it is so Spike and it also says something about what Buffy's struggles will be. So that is all I have for now. 
Thank you again for listening, and I do hope you will come back next week for Fear Itself, where, not surprisingly, given the title, the gang is forced to face their worst fears. You can find my fiction and back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com. You can also listen to the podcast episodes on YouTube. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2021. All rights reserved.